following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? This is Alex Fishbein back again with the Atlantic Files. And, of course, as always, we are brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com. And we are a part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. So, I want to start things off first by saying... If you're wondering why this episode is a little late this week, it is because I was trying to get uh, a few different people on to the show to, you know, talk some Atlantic Division and and specific teams. I'm not going to say who, uh, just because we may still be able to get them at some point. But uh, the schedules, you know, just didn't line up, especially with the fact that it's the end of the year. And at my day job, I have to get stuff done before deadlines. And then, you know, these other guys, if they're reporters or if they're writing for their own website, they have other deadlines to hit themselves. So uh, the schedules did not line up for us this week. So I am coming to you by myself. I mean, that might be disappointing to some of you. Uh, It might be great news to some of you. Uh, For the ones who's disappointing... I'm I'm sorry. I, I don't know how you made it this far through the podcast that that's disappointing to you. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I want to start off by talking about the Philadelphia 76ers because I've been listening to a few podcasts lately and there's been some some good stuff, you know, getting put out there in the in the podcast waves. And there's been some interesting stuff. And then there's just some things that I've noticed uh, throughout the games that I have watched recently. And it's time to talk about them. So the first thing is that Brett Brown joined Woj on his podcast. And they talked about a, a good amount of things. They talked about, you know, the Markel Fultz injury. They talked about the relationship between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And they also talked about when they try, when the Sixers tried to get Manu Ginobili and it ended up not working out. The one thing that I thought was interesting that, that really, you know, caught my attention right away was the talk about Markel Fultz. When Woj decided to ask Brett Brown about the the injury and how, you know, their how they're bringing Markel Fultz along since then was interesting to me because when Brett Brown talked about it, he said it was different for him because at this point you're not just getting a guy through an injury you're getting a guy through like yes the physical part of the injury but you're also getting a guy through the mental part of you know just his very first 
few games in the NBA, you have people dissecting all these little things about his game, talking about how he's a bust already because he couldn't shoot free throws or he couldn't shoot a three. Because, I mean, now that now we know at the time his shoulder was hurting and he couldn't really shoot in general. But to be under that kind of scrutiny as a rookie right away and to be in pain at the same time, you know, it's going to hurt a little bit more than just physical um, or physicality-wise, physical, physically, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so I thought that was interesting just because of on how – you know, from the coach's perspective, you think of, let's take a guy like Gordon Hayward, like he breaks his ankle, and from like Brad Stevens' point of view, all right, you're waiting for him to get his ankle better. Once he gets his ankle better, then you start running him through those drills, and you start, okay, like saying, is he ready at this point? Is he ready at this point? Is he ready at this point? And you're really just dissecting everything uh, just basketball wise that that's just all you're looking at when you when guys have an injury like that but when you have an injury like Markel Fultz where at first they didn't even know what was going on they just knew it was it hurt and then on top of that you're getting scrutinized because coming out of college you looked at as this prolific scorer this prolific uh main option for a team that is supposed to be the number 1 pick then you know, you get all the bus talk, all the trash talk, all that kind of stuff in there. And it can be damaging, especially for a rookie. I mean, it can be damaging for any experienced player. Like, look at a guy like Derrick Rose, who ever since, you know, the knee injuries started, he's never been the same kind of player. And now you have him reevaluating whether he really wants to play basketball or not at this stage in the game. And he's on a team that will most likely go to the finals. This isn't a team like Markel Fultz has in the Sixers that's still young. They're just now starting to get good again from, you know, like the deepest, darkest days of basketball. So these kind of injuries on top of the scrutiny that comes with them really prolongs the, the... it prolongs how well they do on the court when they return and it prolongs you know their their recovery rate because the guys who have the mindset of I'm going to hit this recovery hard I'm going to come back and I'm going to show everyone what's what those guys usually do come back pretty quick a la Gordon Hayward who's already walking without like a boot he's already without crutches and everything but then you get guys who like you know, get kind of down in the dumps because they're not playing basketball. And then they, they already had all of the critics like calling for their heads because they're not doing anything or they're not what people expected them to be. Those guys take a little bit longer to heal because at the same time, they're getting down on themselves. They're inside their own head. And when that kind of thing happens, it doesn't bode well for anything. Like we always talk about Guys aren't shooting well, they're not being aggressive because they're in their own head. But when it comes to rehabbing, when it comes to, you know, trying to get better health-wise or even get better from like a sickness, if you're always in your head and you're saying like, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I don't think I can do this, blah, 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 it's going to prolong everything. That's just um, the mindset with anything you do in life is a big part of of how successful you're going to be in whatever you're putting your mind to at that point in time. So it's 
it was very interesting to me just to hear Brett Brown say like that it's challenging to him because he has to think about the mental aspect of this this recovery for Markel Fultz and he has to worry about how Markel Fultz is hitting these practices so that he can not only bolster his skill and and get and, and his confidence in his shoulder but also bolster his confidence in himself to even get back out there and play at the same exact level he's been playing at all of his life. So that was really interesting to me and then the other interesting thing I thought was the whole relationship dynamic between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid because he talked about how Joel Embiid is this, you know, this big personality, this guy who's out there who will like super outgoing, obviously, with all the trash talk and the trolling and and, you know, talking on TV and talking and meeting guys like LeVar Ball in the in the in the tunnel after the games and stuff like that. Like we know Embiid is the life of the party kind of guy. But then he talked about how Ben Simmons is that stay in the corner by himself kind of guy and just kind of view what's going on in the party. You know, I mean, I to be honest, I relate more with Ben Simmons personally. I, I know a lot more people probably relate with Joel Embiid because they like to be the fun guy and they like to be the one who's outgoing. But in, in my life, I definitely, uh, uh, you know, relate to Ben Simmons and the fact that you're more... It's not that you like are worried more about yourself. It's just that you're not the guy who where that naturally comes that you have to be outgoing like that. And obviously, see the, those kind of relationships really go w- one of two ways. It either works out perfectly, or it works out not at all. <laughs> because there's really no in between. Because those are the opposite personalities right there those are like almost polar opposites and so a lot of times you'll see those two together because that that outgoing party uh personality guy will introduce the you know the quiet guy to all the friends and they'll 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 incorporate them because they want to have a good time with everybody so they want to be able to you know you guys get the the analogy here what i'm trying to say so that is when the the relationship works out well but then there's also the point where if the guy who is more who keeps more to himself really really does not want to hit that outgoing part of it and and really get forced into that then that's where you can collide so far it looks like the relationship is working out at least excuse me at least on the court um Obviously, I'm not sure what exactly happens off the court. I'm not sure if they really hang out all that much. From what Ben Simmons said, it doesn't seem like those guys are super buddy buddy when it comes to off the court uh, uh, chemistry and you know, like going to one guy's house and hanging out and stuff like that. Uh, plus, when you know they were both when they both were at Philly at the same time, you didn't really see like Ben Simmons on Embiid's Instagram or Snapchat stories or whatever all the time. Uh, you you really saw a lot of the other guys instead. So it seems as though they're not the best of friends off the court. But if they can still make that translation to on the court and still you know be a cohesive unit on the court then that's really all that matters obviously you want your two superstars to be like the best of friends you want them to really like it honestly every fan would probably want their superstars to be like Lowry and DeRozan the guys who look like they've been brothers like since birth I mean (laughs) 
the the all-star pictures of Lowry and DeRozan with like Lowry outside the window and stuff. Those are some of the funniest things ever and it, it really uh gives the fans this extra sort of camaraderie effect to their stars and it gives them the extra like oh these guys are awesome because they're inseparable and that means you know they're always going to be watching each other's backs on the court and always be hanging out off the court and we can see these guys and they just coincide really well that gives you the added you know I I would as a fan it gives you the added confidence that this could work but when you kind of see that they're not that that great of friends off the court fans tend to be like i don't know does that mean all of a sudden on the court they're gonna like collide and then be mad at each other and then it's all gonna break down from there sure that's the there's a possibility in that with any relationship really uh like friendship girlfriend boyfriend whatever it may be uh but when you can make it work that's that's really all that matters because you can also on the flip side of the coin, have a team like OKC who still can't figure out exactly a way to have all three superstars on the same page. So, you know, there's a big discrepancy in a lot of these things, uh, in a lot of these relationships, on-court relationships and off-court relationships. So, because we've even seen Melo and Westbrook and Paul George like practicing in the offseason and they were all hyped to be together and they were all excited because they're gonna be on the same team and they might be able to beat Golden State and it's gonna be like yeah we're gonna do it blah 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 and then they get on the court and it's like well that isn't really working now it doesn't look like you're gonna beat Golden State doesn't even look like you're gonna get out of the first round of the playoffs if in fact you even make the playoffs so there's a lot going on the chemistry is a tricky thing I mean I know you guys that play 2K, that play my GM or or my league, and you have to worry about the team's morale and the and the team chemistry if you don't turn that setting off. Because trust me, after I've done that a few times, I started turning that that setting off because I didn't even want to deal with that. I, I I give a lot of respect to coaches and GMs and everything that have to deal with that on a daily basis with real live people and real live money uh, because, you know, I'm I'm not touching that. Nope, nope, uh, not me. <laughs> anyway, um, and then so another thing that I wanted to touch on with the Sixers, well, there's a couple other things. One thing that I've been saying a lot recently is that Ben Simmons is noticeably less aggressive than he has been throughout the season. He's not really driving to the rim all that much. He's not, when he sees people in the lane, like in his way, he's not really going right at him and trying to draw fouls as much as he was just, I mean, just a little bit ago. And me personally, I think I, I agree with the narrative that I've heard before and that I've I've seen myself is that I think the whole Hackaben uh when they faced the Wizards, I think that got into his head a little bit. Now I'm not saying this is the end all be all of Ben Simmons career. I'm not saying he's never gonna be aggressive ever again. I'm just saying as a rookie, you know, as your first year playing that kind of thing can get into your head. It can get into your confidence about yourself because a team thought that it would win them the game by fouling you and purposefully putting you on the free throw line. Just when you think about that in and of itself is kind of a confidence rocker because 
That's that's a, a, another team's scout and the other team watching film saying, like making the conscious decision that if we foul you and put you on the line, we have a better chance of beating you than if you just run a regular offense. Now, you can also flip that and say, look, I'm so good on offense that they have to foul me to even beat us. There is the flip side of that, and that would be the better the better side of the coin because that's the more confident side of the coin as well. But when you look at that and you're like, I'm so bad at free throws that they put me on the line because they think they can beat me if I'm shooting free throws, that's where you get the problematic area here. That's where you get the, the um, issues that now you might not try and get to the line as much because... Are you that bad at shooting free throws? Are they correct? Maybe they were right. Maybe now other teams are going to keep fouling me because I can't shoot free throws. See, that kind of thing can easily creep into your mind, and and that subconsciously can make you not drive to the rim as much because maybe you don't want to shoot the free throws. Maybe you want to try and just wait, wait, wait. Oh, there's my chance. Let me go take that chance because there's no one below the rim. And that is the kind of thing where you get yourself in trouble. That's the kind of thing where you get people uh, uh, criticizing Simmons or Lonzo Ball or or whoever it may be on not being aggressive. And then once once you get to that point, you could get to the falsest point where you know people criticize you so much. Now that's in your head too, and it's just a big downhill snowball effect. But. Let me rewind a little bit. I do not believe that that is going to be what's going to happen with Simmons. I do think he'll end up being okay, especially because a guy like Brett Brown is smart enough to see that and know that. And he even said when the the whole hack of Ben was going on back in that game that he wanted him out there to try and build that confidence to say, yes, they're going to come foul you, but you need to be in the game to hit those foul shots and lead your team to a win. And so I do like that about uh, about Brett Brown. I liked that decision to keep him in there and try and fight that. And now he needs to be in there again if they start doing that again or if he you're, like someone needs to tell him that he needs to keep going to the hole hard because there's there's nothing like there's nothing that's going to defend you from shooting free throws if you're bad at them like we've seen guys like Andre Drummond Dwight Howard all that kind of stuff those guys still get sent to the line all the time and do they you know get scared about it no they they go and try and hit every shot they can and they still try and win the game for their team so that's just what's gonna have to happen with Ben Simmons as well uh oh what look at me i i completely forgot that i have to talk to you guys about the jaleel okafor trade because we haven't even talked about that yet because that happened a little bit after the episode that i recorded with mike bash uh, about the brooklyn nets ironically enough and so once that trade happened uh, I, I first off, I got a lot of texts saying, "Yo, Okafor's traded. Okafor's gone. Okafor's not in Philly anymore." Uh, like, and those were all obviously from Sixers fans, just super excited because Okafor's not there. It, it's like if I could, for the people who aren't from Philly or aren't living in Philly, they 
So at first, there was a lot of people on the fence about the whole Nerlens Noel versus Okafor thing. It was, you know, half the people were adamant that Noel was better and that Noel being the defensive stopper is is much more of a plus than having Okafor as the down low post scorer. And then, you know, there was all a bunch of people saying, well, defense can be worked on, but Okafor has, you know, like generational post moves and he, <laughs> he quote unquote, rolls out of bed and gets 20 and 10. Um, and so there, it was a ongoing debate for a long, long time. Then, you know, obviously Noel gets traded. Noel's really not doing much of, of anything in Dallas anymore. And finally, Okafor gets traded. One, I would like to commend Okafor on his maturity in handling this whole, handling this whole thing uh, because it's taken them forever to trade him and get rid of him. And he, and he has been just pleading that he just wants to go play. He just wants to get out of there so he can actually play some basketball and do what he came to the NBA to do. And so he, even after this whole thing happened and he finally gets traded away, he's still posted on like Instagram and social media saying thank you to Philadelphia. I think that took a lot of guts because any other guy in that situation I feel like would be like, yo, peace, later. I'm not even saying anything about them. I'm just going to say, hey, yo, enter new team here. I am so glad to be here. Like, we're going to go do big things. We're going to go to all these new heights, blah, blah, blah. But no, he thanked Philadelphia first. Then said, yo, Brooklyn, we're, we're in there, you know, we're going to get better, and I'm going to help take this team to new heights, me and D'Angelo Russell, blah, blah, blah. And the guy smiled in his photo. Uh, like, if you saw, if you follow Basketball Society on Twitter, you saw that we were like, man, this, is, this looks like the first time Jaleel Okafor smiled in years. <laughs> and that's that's like sad to say i don't want to like i don't want that to be true but it's pretty much true because he's been pretty miserable on the sixers and everyone kind of sensed it from the beginning when those those weird stories about him like locking himself in a room after being drafted and like cursing and all that kind of stuff because he didn't want to be with the sixers and then putting the uh like throwing the jersey down and all that kind of stuff it's been a weird weird time with okafor uh but I truly hope that he has proved that he will prove all of my thoughts wrong about his game. Um, because if you've been listening to the Atlantic Files for a while now, you've heard me say that I can't stand Okafor's game because I am a huge, huge, huge proponent of players that play defense. I, I am a, I'm a huge defense first kind of guy. That's why I love guys like Covington. And that's why I have always liked, uh, uh, Paul George and, and, um, you know, different players like that that really give it their all on defense like a guy like Antetokounmpo who will give his 110% on both sides of the ball like Kawhi Leonard's one of my favorite guys in the league as well um and even obviously Embiid too because Embiid still does play very good defense uh even though he's always busting his butt on the offensive end and using a lot of his energy down there so that being said with Okafor's lack of hustle and like you know, his lack of rebounding and defensive kind of whereabouts with him, that always frustrated me. That's always why I was a Noel guy in that debate in Philadelphia as well. But that being said, I do hope that he proves me wrong. I really do. I hope that he goes into Brooklyn and shows us like this whole brand new brand new Okafor like he looks like you know 
just crazy. Like I, I hope he does because it would be great. I, I would feel I would feel better for him. Um, it would just be a a great story for Brooklyn itself as well. You know, having to to really repair all of the damages done by Billy King and that regime. I think that it it like the whole story together, him and Brooklyn, would just fit very well if he could you know revitalize himself and the team at the same time. Uh, now, what do I think about his fit with Brooklyn? I think he does fit. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, they don't really exactly have a, a huge identity right now. They are one of the fastest teams in terms of pace. So the only like iffy part I get here is that Okafor is not the running kind of big. He's the guy where in the half court, you dump it down to him, you let him go to work, and you let him get a bucket. That's how he's always been so far. So the fact that Brooklyn is is young and, and running and running and running, that might be a little problematic because, one, we also don't know what kind of shape he's in because he hasn't really played at all. So we don't know how he's coming into this. Is he is he like super out of shape? Has he kept in shape on the side? Is he you know just, is he is it going to take him like a month to get into game shape? Is it going to take him a week? Is it going to take him the rest of the year? We don't know that yet. And this is a really fast team. We don't know exactly what the th- is going to happen. Are they going to change their game plan to fit Okafor, or will they try to change Okafor to fit their game plan? That's the biggest like if in this situation. And uh, as as you guys heard Mike Bash before say that he thinks D'Angelo Russell needs a good big man pairing to really uh, take Russell's game to the next level. I think that having a point guard like Russell can also help take Okafor to the next level because he is a guy that can distribute his butt off. And if you have him getting into the lane and disrupting defenses, that's freeing up spots for Okafor. And if Okafor could even get down a consistent like 15-foot jump shot, then that is going to open up tons of space for him. It's going to up tons of space for D'Angelo. It's even going to open up tons of space for the rest of the team. Because even guys like Spencer Dinwiddie is playing very well as their main ball handler and as their point guard. And he's being able to find guys for assists all the time, which... Mike Bash also texted me uh, uh, about Karis LeVert. LeVert has had a few games in a row of five-plus assists, and it's just kind of rubbing off on the team that these guys are really sharing the ball and getting it and moving it around. So if you get a if if Okafor could add that kind of thing to his game, we have seen him like shoot a couple threes in the offseason, but there it didn't look like that he could shoot them really with any consistency at all. So that's another thing that you know is probably going to take another offseason or two to work on, but. If that develops, that opens up a world of possibilities in the kind of game that he can play and the kind of game plan that the Brooklyn Nets can use. So there's a lot of things going on with that. I also do see so... Oh, man. They also got Stauskas and... I don't know. I I don't see them really keeping Stauskas just because with... Mm, with with Harris there, it's like they're kind of the same player, except Stauskas is a little bit better of a ball handler. Um, but they got rid of Kilpatrick for him, and I didn't like that. I thought they should have gotten rid of like somebody else because I did like Kilpatrick's scoring ability. Sure, he was kind of slumping this season, uh, but I felt like it just wasn't the right time to get to cut him loose. Um, 
Yeah, I just I don't think Stauskas is gonna stick much. He's just way too inconsistent to be an NBA quote unquote shooter, and that's what he's supposed to be. Kind of like a guy, you know, like Doug McDermott's first few years is he's supposed to be that shooter, but he's not consistent. So then, how can you be an NBA shooter if you're not consistent? That just means like you're giving him one game here and there. And nobody wants that unless they're tanking on purpose to get a, a, a better pick. So I don't really see Stauskas sticking with the team. I think they'll definitely take many chances on Okafor. I think they'll extend his contract and, and really ride that, that contract out to see what they can get out of him. Especially having a backup as like Jared Allen, who if they really do need defense, they can throw him in there. Of course, they still have Mozgov's contract, but that's going to be something you don't renew once that's over as well. And so this really gives them some good building blocks to really start the the full rebuild for them. And I think that in the long run, it will be great for Brooklyn. I think that they, at, like you, at this point, you have to take this kind of chance because, like I said, you're pretty much left in ruins after the whole Billy King thing and trading for Garnett and Pierce and all them. So really any kind of chance like this is going to be beneficial for your team. Literally, any kind of chance is going to be beneficial. <laughs> so I think that this was the right move for Brooklyn, but I do also like the addition of Trevor Booker for the Sixers because this is a guy, they need more guys with that hustle, grit, the dirty work kind of guy, like a TJ McConnell kind of guy. And this gives it in, this gives that to them in the big man version who will go out and bust his butt for rebounds. We've seen him blocking people by running down the opposite side of the court. We've seen him saving balls. We've seen him really get into the passing game as well. Trevor Booker is also a very nice passer, which I mean, you throw you throw him in the mix with like Ben Simmons and then you put shooters around them with like Embiid, Redick and Covington and you have Booker distributing as well. That's going to be pretty lethal. Uh, like with, with his kind of passing ability. The only thing with the Sixers is they get into these kind of ruts where you have guys like McConnell, Simmons and TLC along with a couple other guys. And those three are just very reluctant to shoot the ball. Like you need those those primary ball handler kind of guys to be able to to shoot when the team needs it and not and I'm not just saying you know dribble around a few times see that nobody's open and then it's like okay now I'm gonna shoot it no you need to be aggressive right from the jump like you like TJ McConnell does it a lot where he drives baseline comes back out drives baseline again but doesn't see anybody or maybe see someone bounces him to it that guy gets covered he gives it right back to TJ and then TJ starts looking for like doing that all over again and then Ben Simmons will like go sweeping across the lane not at the hoop but across the lane and then he'll try and find somebody if he doesn't find anybody he'll do that sweeping hook shot which he makes sometimes other times he doesn't we've even we've even seen him go drive right towards the lane go for a finger roll and miss it more often than not so there's a lot of like just mental things that the Sixers have to work on but I love the aspect of the game that Trevor Booker brings to the Sixers because his is a lot of mentality as well saying I'll do the dirty work and I'll be the support to your guys like assault and so I do really like that addition I'm not exactly sure if they'll re-sign him because he is on an expiring contract. I hope they do, um, but it'll, it'll be iffy to see exactly what they do. It also depends on Rashawn Holmes' health, 
And because if Rashawn Holmes can can you know come back and be consistently healthy, then they won't need a guy like Amir Johnson moving forward. And then you can re-sign a guy like Trevor Booker because then it won't be much of a logjam in the in the front court there as well. So there's a lot of ifs, like there always is. But that's it for me this week, guys. I appreciate y'all for getting us almost up to 300 ratings we almost have 300 total ratings uh if you guys could definitely go on there and and just drop a five-star rating if you put a comment on the five-star rating as well i will start reading those uh there there's six of them on there and i've already read them before in in episodes past so if you guys put them on there i will read them i'll read all the five-star ratings you put on there honestly i'll read any rating you put on there if you if even if you hate this i'll read it i don't care i'm able to laugh at myself too so if you have something that's funny and you think it's but it's also about a bad podcast shoot leave it on there i'll read it it doesn't matter to me uh but please 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 go check out basketball society online.com and definitely check out the underdog sports podcast network lots of great podcasts there's a lot of basketball society guys with podcasts on the underdog sports network as well so definitely check all of those out and there's just some great great podcasts on there man and one last thing we have a little bit of a charity thing going on here with our guys at bbh um it is called the assist definitely check out our twitter at bball society underscore you'll see the link on there you don't even have to pay anything you just need to you know share that get other people noticing about it we're trying to give out care packages for christmas and everything like that trying to give back to the community that you know gives to us their time their attention and anything that they can give us so we want to give back to you guys so definitely check that out share that be much appreciated Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.